I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. This week, my guest is Jamie Leverton, CEO of Hut8 Mining, a digital asset miner launched in 2018 and one of North America's oldest and largest companies in the crypto mining space, which holds more self-mined Bitcoin than any crypto miner or publicly traded company. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Over the past 20 plus years, Jamie has been the driving force behind the operational evolution of some of the most important tech companies with leadership roles at BlackBerry, Bell Canada, National Bank and IBM. A community leader and change maker, Jamie is committed to closing the tech gap and increasing leadership opportunities for women in tech. In this conversation, we talk about what it means to be one of the only women at the helm of a cryptocurrency company and how Jamie has paved her way to leadership since the start of her career. Here is our conversation. Jamie, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you for making time to speak with me. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And it's especially exciting because we rarely have women uh, who, A, work uh, as CEOs in the finance world, and even more rare to have somebody, uh, to have a woman who is in the cryptocurrency field. So very excited for our chat. Um, I like to start these conversations by asking yes to go back in time. And uh, I'm curious to know when you were growing up, what did you dream you'd be doing as a career later in life? And I've read somewhere uh, that you answered a question when you were working for IBM about what where you saw yourself next. And the answer was CEO. And I loved that that was your answer. But I'm wondering if that was already the case when you were a young woman. Yeah, it, it very much wasn't the case when I was when I was young. I grew up in in quite a small town, uh, and I didn't. The only kind of professions that I had in mind were um, doctor or lawyer. I knew that doctor wasn't for me, so I kind of just always thought I would be a lawyer. Um, business wasn't wasn't really on my radar as a as a career until. Um, actually, until I finished my undergrad degrees, I did a double major in uh, psychology and political science and didn't know what to do with those from a career perspective. I was I think I was 19 going into my third year. Uh, so actually, I went to the guidance office at the University of Ottawa, which is where I had um, where I did my undergrad and looked for uh, for help from them. And they actually put me through um, a number of interest and aptitude tests that ultimately ranked the top 100 careers that you were most likely to be successful in, but also to enjoy doing. Uh, and as a result of that, seven of the top 10 were business related. Uh, and that's actually what uh, what motivated me to go and do my master's in business administration, which I did with a concentration in marketing informatics, a program that was available at uh, Dalhousie University at that time. And then IBM recruited from that program, which is how I got my start in tech uh, at IBM in 2000. And uh, and yeah, that, that clip that you referenced in my first year at IBM, they asked me where I saw myself. And at that point, I felt like 
uh, CEO was maybe attainable. I, I obviously didn't know, but I felt like I should set the highest goal possible for myself um, and, and strive to get there. And then ultimately, um, it became the case. Obviously, I'm not the CEO of, of IBM, but I became the CEO of HUD8 um, just over two years ago. And we're a publicly traded company and I couldn't be happier. So what attracted you? And as you started your career, um, you know, in, in tech and eventually you merged with finance um, and these tend to be male dominated sectors. And we see less women in, in those industries, although that's changing and that's great news. So what attracted you to those sectors specifically? Uh, what attracted me to the sector was the work. I was fortunate enough to grow up with, with a father who was an engineer. We always had computers in the house. I started, you know, coding on a VIC-20 when I was very young, and, and that was always a passion or a hobby of mine. Um, it was never on my radar that you could kind of transition that into an actual job or career. So certainly as that as that path opened up for me, um, there was nothing else I would want to do. I feel blessed to be in tech. I feel blessed for the career that I've had. I've never had a, a boring day. I've never had a day that felt like the day before. Um, I'm especially now moving into crypto and Web3. I feel like I really have a seat on the, the bleeding edge of technological innovation. And I see all of the possibilities of our future day in and day out in the work that I do. Um, I am also blessed to have two daughters. My daughters are 12 and 14. So I just think, uh, I, I, I think the opportunity to do something that you love and is so future forward. Um, I could, I can't imagine doing anything different. And to be honest, um, I was lucky in that my mother also worked, um, had an executive career when I was growing up. So I had that kind of modeling in the house and it, it didn't occur to me until I was quite a ways into my IBM career that, that there weren't as many women at the, at the top as there were, um, in the entry level ranks. There were tons of women around me on my teams when I started my career. And then, you know, as my career advanced, there were, it became very obvious that there were less and less and certainly in the C-suite and in the boardroom, absolutely not enough at all in tech or finance. And unfortunately in crypto, uh, the numbers are, are just as bad if, if not slightly worse. And I think as we all know, uh, the pan, the pandemic, didn't help women um, from a from a late stage career perspective. So uh, we we certainly have our work cut out for us as um, from my perspective as technology executives that are women that are leading in these fields. I think it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we're reaching out to the next generation that we're supporting. Uh, we support girls who code. I mentor a number of young women coming up in the field, and I think mm -hmm. I think we really have to put ourselves out there as um, as authentic leaders that, that can model something that young women can see themselves in in the future. Um, so, um, yeah, unfortunately, we haven't moved the dial as much as I would have hoped in the 22 years that I've been in in tech. Um, but I think I think there are some positive signals coming. I think this the the idea when I first started my career, there was a sense that there was only room for kind of one woman at the top, one woman right. around the seat. I was going to ask you. The boardroom mm -hmm. table. I don't have that 
that sense anymore. There's certainly more camaraderie around uh, my my peers in this space. Uh, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. fortunate enough to have diversity at my board level, diversity at my management level. Um, so in my in my little world, uh, we we have we have the luxury of, of a, a lot of different voices and a lot of diversity, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. But it, it is not often mirrored um, in my in my peer group, unfortunately. Right. And, and I think you very much created that environment at Hut 8. You know, you brought diversity to uh, your executive committee and your board. Um, when you first realized that there weren't, you know, that many women at the C-suite level, uh, what was the reaction? Was that kind of a <clears throat> additional motivation in, you know, wanting to get ahead even more? Or was that kind of a scary prospect to you? I wouldn't say it was, it, it wasn't scary in in so much as I'd grown up in a male-dominated kind of space anyway, by the time I had a seat at the table, I had learned how to navigate waters that were they're very often heavily male-dominated. I think the real motivation for me uh, came after having two girls. I think having daughters made it really, really personal and it really hit home that um, that there was something broken in the system when we had really almost 50-50 representation uh, in many of the STEM programs coming out of university, many of the entry-level fields in tech. But then along the way, we're, we are just losing women um, as the as we move up the organization. And that's where we, we really have a ton of work to do. Um, and we've struggled mm-hmm. to find, find the right way to attack that problem. Who would you say were great role models for you or individuals who supported you, you know, as you were climbing the ladder? I've had a ton of great supporters and mentors and sponsors. I will say when it comes to sponsors and really sponsorship being differentiated by people that are willing to put their own brand, their own reputation on the line to support you when you may not be ready um, on paper for the next big career move. Um, mm-hmm. My sponsors were generally almost entirely male, which I find I find very mm-hmm. interesting. I had great female yeah. mentors, but when it came to sponsorship, it was often uh, it was often men that that were comfortable taking on that role. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a sponsor that uh, started as a mentor early in my career at IBM and has continued to be uh, my biggest champion for the for the last 20 years. I've worked for him twice. He's been my reference four times. He's now really a, a quite a close friend. But I think you those relationships you really need to cherish when when somebody sees something in you before you see it in yourself. Um, sometimes you need to listen to them because they they might they've got a bigger perspective and i think especially for women um we tend to want to be you know at least 90% qualified for any new challenge we take yes, on absolutely. Uh, very different from men men seem to be more comfortable with a less than 50% uh, qualification level for any new role and so i think it it's incumbent upon us to take uh, bigger, bigger chances on ourselves, bigger leaps forward. Mm-hmm. And when people think you're ready, um, I think it, we should listen to those people. And I've been, I've been fortunate to have people see, um, see me when I was ready before I understood it myself. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your start with Hut Aid. How did that opportunity come about, and 
what was reaction? Did you feel like you were ready or was it, you know, a push from somebody else who made you realize that might be a fit for you? Uh, well, the second half of, of my career, I've, I've actually um, focused on going into mandates that required some sort of transformation or mm-hmm. a bit of a heavier, a heavier lift. And so there, there are uh, people in the industry that, that know that I've done this kind of work um, in the case of Hade, the the board had hired an executive recruiter who who did know me and had worked with me in the past, and they were looking for somebody that had done transformation work before, that was already um, at least comfortable with Bitcoin, if if not bullish on Bitcoin, at which which I was at the time, uh, and and that could bring a diversified um, lens to the business. Hade prior to my arrival was really just just a Bitcoin miner. It was kind of single threaded on on that activity. Uh, and over the last couple of years, uh, we've worked really hard to diversify the business into high performance computing. Uh, we we dual listed onto the Nasdaq to really uh, strengthen our our capital markets position. Um, and then we've recently announced um, a, a definitive agreement to go into a significant merger, which will have us as a much larger company with half our operations in the, in the U.S., half in Canada, and then ultimately uh, re-domiciling into the U.S. as well. So uh, I think from to answer your question, I think the, the, the recruiter felt like I was the right fit for the role. Um, the, the board felt like I was the right profile for the role. And I had to get comfortable that... Um, that I could really get the job done as my, this was my first CEO role. It, it being a, a public company was, it was a big stretch. And then in crypto, my first crypto role. So I, it took me about four months to convince myself that it was the right thing that I could be successful, that I, that myself and my family were comfortable taking on the risk profile involved. Cause certainly this isn't a decision that you make on your own. You've, you've got to have everybody, right. Um, that you truly love and care about, comfortable with the decision too, because it doesn't just affect you, it, it affects the family. Um, and then obviously I, I made the decision, took the leap. I started the, the 1st of December, uh, 2020. And certainly for the first three months, it was a very steep learning curve. The, the crypto bull market started right around the same time that I started the role. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot of time to kind of settle into a 90-day plan, which is typically what I would want to do. We really had to do that 90 day plan while the bull market started to run. And I can tell you, I did not sleep much at all for the first six months. Um, and, and it, it took me a while to get my sea legs or get my, get my confidence in the role, but uh, luckily it did come and, and we've, we've had a, a really nice couple of years for sure. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women and Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, puts guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way, so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. So what 
qualities do you think you bring as a leader, being a woman leader with your specific experience? Um, what do you bring to your role as CEO of HUT8? Um, and since it's also your first CEO experience, I'm curious to hear you about, you know, what that new uh, level of leadership means for you. Yeah, that I mean, those are great questions. I think um, one of the things I've I've tried to do, and I think have success, been successful at, is stay true to the the roots of my leadership style that got me to where I am today, um, and that my roots are really about collaboration and, and stakeholder engagement. I think it's especially because I go into uh, into new mandates that that are have have a struggle um, of one kind or another, and I think it's critically important in those early days, and then and then throughout the, my tenure, um, to have conversations with all stakeholders. So I try to spend time one on one um, with obviously the board, of course, key partners, key investors, but also every single employee in the firm. I like to spend one on one time with in, in my first month or two on the job, really to understand from their perspective what they think is working, what they don't think is working, what they would do if they were me, because they have this benefit of institutional and historic knowledge that I can never understand as somebody new coming in and seeing what's given to me. You really have to reach across the stakeholder groups to, to get a full perspective of, of what's going on, again, from my perspective. Uh, and so mm -hmm. that, that's something I do in every role. It was no different at HUT. Um, and even though the company has grown significantly, putting the, the pending merger aside, we're four times larger today than, than when I took over the company. And I still spend one-on-one -on -one time with every single employee at least once or twice a year to continue challenging my thinking and, and making sure that everybody's um, rowing in the same direction, everybody's engaged, I'm not missing anything, um, and I get great great ideas from, from that stakeholder group by investing that time. So I think, I think that's a critical component to my leadership and ultimately my success. Um, and, mm -hmm. and the team that, that is around me at the table, many of them have worked for me before and they, they know me well, they know my style and they bring that, that similar um, authentic leadership and, and engagement with their teams as well and stakeholders. So I think it just permeates through the organization in a way where we do have um, openness and transparency across the organization. Of course, we have healthy tension, but it's healthy um, because everybody feels comfortable speaking their mind, saying what, saying what their real opinions are. And then at the end of the day, we have to make a decision. Not everybody wins their argument, but we're, um, we're all friends at the end of the day. And we, we make sure that we're always having those conversations because they're critically important. Mm -hmm. If people aren't comfortable speaking up at all levels of the organization, you're going to miss some pretty yeah. important um, nuggets. That's a, a very valid point and congratulations on, on bringing that culture to your company. Um, we touch a little bit on, you know, the diversity and the number of women uh, that are part of HUD 8 at the executive level, at the board level. Why was that important to you? And I can guess the answer, but I'd love to hear uh, why you made that a priority. And how was that received by, you know, the management around you, uh, board members and, and so on? What was the reaction when you started implementing that? I think, I think for 
female leaders, certainly speaking for myself, it comes very naturally. I, I didn't set out, um, you know, with this specific mandate around um, mm. certain numbers I need, I wanted to see around the table. I went out looking for the, for the, the best people for the role. But I think one of the benefits female leaders have is it's easier to, to attract female talent um, because often they haven't had an opportunity to work with a female leader that they connect with. Um, sometimes it's just easier for them to take a take a risk mandate like crypto is broadly rec- seen as a as, right. a, as a riskier <laughs> mandate. I think sometimes there's just more comfort for women doing that with a leader that they, that they, they have a different kind of connection to. So I, I, I believe that's part of what's been of benefit to me. I really, I get to see a truly diverse pool of candidates um, and, and the likelihood that I'm able to, to bring in uh, diverse candidates is higher because of my own diversity, I think. Right, right. Um, you've navigated quite, you know, the, the the past few months and congratulations on, on achieving such growth for the company. And there's a, a merger that's in process, uh, which is fantastic news as well. Uh, but we all know crypto has been uh, through ups and downs, uh, especially in, in recent few months. Um, what did that crisis teach you? And what did you uh, seek to bring, you know, as a leader of uh, a cryptocurrency company uh, to navigate through all of these ups and downs? I think it's important in, in crypto to pay attention to history and um, Bitcoin in particular, which is our, our primary area of focus. Uh, Bitcoin's followed a pretty... Um, similar pattern throughout its inception. Uh, the white paper was released in 2008 as a, as a reaction to the subprime mortgage crisis at that time. Um, and it really does follow a pattern. So uh, for me, when I, when I stepped into the role, the bull market had just started, but it, it had started in a way that was actually quite predictable. The uh, Bitcoin has, has embedded uh, in it, in its blockchain, uh, a having so every four years the amount of Bitcoin rewards drops in half, and that event is is generally what triggers a supply shock, which drives the the price of Bitcoin to accumulate. So when I took over the role, that was really the the time, and and it was following that pattern. So we at HUD eight had a decision to make on how we handled that bull market, um, and we really took an approach that was balance sheet first. It was building out diversification into the business, and it was making sure that if the cycle repeated the way it historically had and a bear market was around the corner, that we were prepared uh, to to be able to weather that bear market. So we avoided taking on excessive leverage. uh, We brought in fiat-based revenue streams, um, and then... When the when the bear did come around and, and it it, fall, it did follow the, the prior cycle, we were in a really a really good position because we had a strong balance sheet. We didn't have leverage. We had diversified cash flows. So I think by preparing for the bear market and the bull market, we put ourselves into a really unique position. Uh, of course, you don't you can't predict the headlines that we've seen. Mm-hmm. The FTX situation uh, obviously dealt a really harsh blow to the industry but the reality of of what happened at ftx was that was that was fraud that was Mm -hmm. 
nothing to do with Bitcoin, nothing to do with blockchain, nothing yeah, to do with the underlying exactly. technology. That was lack of governance. That was lack of controls and fraud, uh, which could have happened mm-hmm. in any industry. But unfortunately, it 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 hit crypto very hard, and we're having to to mm-hmm. work to come out of that. But I think I think the key is educating on the difference between those those big headlines and the actual underlying technology and the promise of the technology. And um, so we, again, we 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 have the benefit of doing the right things to get us ready to be able to capitalize and build in the bear market, which is, which is exactly what we've been doing and, and, and what led to the, uh, the merger that we're working through now. Right. Right. Well, congratulations on, on getting there and navigating these tough waters. Um, Shifting gears a little bit. So we speak to a lot of female founders on this show, um, or, you know, women, women leaders. And, um, d- there's a trend with women who are not always comfortable with, uh, you know, literacy around finance or education around finance. And we even see a lot of, you know, amazing entrepreneurs who, um, still shy away from making decisions around, you know, the, the way they invest in their company, the way they manage their own personal finances. As someone, as a woman who's been in finance, uh, for, for a big part of her career, what would be your advice to women in general when it comes to the way they approach making decisions around their finances? I, I, I have the same response that I have to to most things that make you uncomfortable. And it's if it makes you uncomfortable, it means you need to get yourself educated. Um, mm-hmm. You need to do the work. Otherwise, you're shutting yourself off from something which doesn't allow you to to grow. It doesn't allow you to make the best decision. So uh, as much as nobody likes to get outside their comfort zone, um, I think I think it's critically important one of the one of the great benefits of the pandemic is has been the p- proliferation of podcasts and online education there's really nothing you can't educate yourself on in an hour or two uh, online. And there's, you know, you can take yourself from sure. very, very basic to mastery level. If you want to invest the time, there's just incredible, incredible online programming. Uh, and crypto in particular um, has mm-hmm. just fabulous, fabulous um, online education for people that are um, curious about the space and don't know where to get started. I've got all kinds of resources and anybody that listens to your podcast can reach out to me and I'm happy to point them uh, into the the places that got me started and that I recommend to other people. Um, but I think that's a, that's a real blessing and people need to take advantage of it. It doesn't serve anybody to shy away from areas where they're they're they feel like they don't have the knowledge base you don't need to do that today with the mm-hmm. internet mm-hmm. very good advice um and i'm curious to know you know for yourself as a leader when it comes to having to make decisions these can be the big tough decisions this can be the everyday stuff um are you someone who favors listening to your gut tuning into your intuition or are you somebody who's extremely data driven or is it a combination of the two? It's definitely a combination of the two. I, I, I build spreadsheets and waterfalls and decision trees. <laughs> and once I have all the data gathered, then I use that to put in combination with my gut and ultimately uh, make the decision from there. But it, it's ab- mm-hmm. for me always starts with with the data um, mm-hmm. And then my my gut certainly plays a role, but it's but it's once I've distilled the data down into a place that I think I can make 
that no decision is going to be the wrong decision because I understand mm-hmm. what I'm dealing with and all of the variables. Mm. And how do you find balance on a daily basis? And we often talk about, you know, the the myth of work-life balance and women who can do it all. And I think that's a really unfair concept that's been pushed to women because having it all, all at the same time, um, is pretty much impossible to, to achieve, but we strive to find, you know, kind of a stable ground, uh, that keeps us going. So what does that look like for you? Yeah. Having, having it all, in perfect symmetry is is a myth um, I think it's a disservice to women to think that that goal is even remotely attainable it's not it's about making trade-offs um, at different points in time for for myself and my family uh, we made the decision very very early on um, that that my career was very important to me and makes me a, a better person, a better role model, a, be- a better mother. I need that kind of balance. I'm, I'm, it's very difficult for me to be single threaded in, e- in any one area. I thrive when I have a lot of complexity and a lot going on. Uh, and my husband's the same way. So we, we would, when we were first starting our family, uh, we didn't have the financial means, um, but we, we invested in bringing in help so that we, we had help at home that allowed us to focus on our career and quality time with the girls. And we just made that decision to invest in, in our future selves by having, um, having somebody else take away the, the more mundane tasks that, that didn't bring us joy and took us away from what did that joy being our, our children, each other and our careers. So it is a difficult decision to make. In our case, we actually uh, took out a home equity line of credit to fund our first caregiver. Um, but it, w- it was absolutely the right decision because we, we couldn't have made it all work. Um, but those are the, those are the difficult uh, conversations and trade-offs I think that uh, couples need to have when, they're, when, you're, when, right. you, when you're starting your family because to go into that thinking we can juggle it all, just the two of us, is really, it's really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. I that, that's a, a very interesting way of looking at it um and it's obviously worked well for you um what would be your advice and maybe the top two or three you know tips you would share with women who are considering a leadership position in the finance or the tech industry or even women who are starting a business in that sector I think my first piece of advice would be just do it if you're if it's what you want to do, you see yourself, you think you can do it, just take the leap. I, I really think we we uh, we need to take more chances on ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. I would also say find find a peer group that you can lean on. I've always had different different groups of peers, um, some some all female, some some male, some mixed. Uh, but there there are different points in time where you're you're going to need to lean on. Um, lean on people for advice, for counsel, for a shoulder to cry on. You 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 need a community that can help support and guide. Um, so I, that would be my my advice: take the risk on yourself, but make sure you have people around um, that that you can rely on and ask questions. Nobody nobody builds a successful career all by themselves. You it it take, it takes a community. It takes a village that ultimately help bring you up and, and 
and get you there. So don't shy away from it. Nobody has all of the answers. And if you think you do, um, it, you, I would strongly encourage you to rethink <laughs> that. <laughs> I know, I know. I still rely on my community every single day. I'm so grateful for all of the support. I wouldn't have the career I have if it wasn't for all of the people cheering me on and giving me their shoulder and giving me their advice, my family supporting me. Um, so I think just that perspective is is really important. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for your advice. Uh, congratulations again for what you've built at Hot Eight. Very proud to have you know a Canadian woman, uh, uh, one of the only women at the at the head of a cryptocurrency company. So kudos, and thank you for making time to speak with me today. It was my pleasure. Anything I can do, Eva. Thank you. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.